Such a great and an awesome God. We thank you for your infinite grace and your mercy. Lord, we pray as you go to your word right now that you would be our teacher. That man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, God bless you guys. Go ahead and grab a seat. Turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We continue our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. Thanks, bro. Rachel asked me to uh, announce again, if I could, that if they need help for VBS, you know, it's our first year doing a vacation Bible school, and it would be great if we could have, uh, whether you have kids in it or not, if you feel led to help out, you don't have to help out every day. If you can help out one day, that would be great. I know they would be blessed. All right, well, let's uh, catch us up here real briefly, and, and we'll move on through the text. Um, be praying for our high schoolers this week. Many of them are down at camp. And for me, when I was a youth pastor for about 15 plus years or so, my favorite week every year was high school camp because you get 24 hours a day with those kids, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And Pastor Vince and, and Ian and John are down there with them. So be praying for them this week that God would do a radical work in every one of their lives. Well, last week we started looking at this letter to the church in, Th- in Thessalonica. And if, we, if you were not here, just real briefly, Thessalonica was actually one of the cities that was doing well. Usually when a letter was written, it was written because there was a major struggle. And certainly in Thessalonica, it was a city that was surrounded by pagan idolatry like virtually every city was in that day. But Paul is writing this letter to encourage them because for the most part, they're doing well. Now, what was Paul's background in Thessalonica? It was a, just to know that again, it was a prosperous, prominent beach city that was caught up in pagan idolatry. What does that sound like? But it was a city Paul visited during his, his response to a vision. It's called the Macedonian Call. You see it in the book of Acts, where he has a vision at night, and he sees a man of Macedonia calling him to come. And uh, many believe it may have been Luke, but he goes to, to minister to the people of Macedonia. The first city he went to was Philippi. Do you remember what happened in Philippi? He went in, he ministered to a woman by the name of Lydia. They were out washing their clothes by the river there, and, and she gets saved, her whole family gets saved, and then many people are starting to be touched by the word, and the Jews that were there who did not believe that Jesus was the Christ got very jealous, and they stirred up a mob, and it says they hired some lewd and evil men to chase them out of town, but before they chased them out of town, they beat them, they flogged them, and they sent them packing. Well, then they went from there, and I love this, that they traveled a hundred miles. Now, if I was beaten for my faith, if I was flogged, I don't know if I, I don't know, I think I'd need a vacation. How about you? But these guys instead went a hundred miles straight to Thessalonica, and when they got there, Paul only, it says in the Word, he only ministered there for three weeks. It's in Acts 17. And during the three weeks he was there, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, the Old Testament, proving that Jesus Christ is God, in the synagogue, and it says many were saved. Some of the Jews, many of the Greeks were saved, but there was that group of Jews again who said, hey, wait a minute, we don't believe what, you know, and they were getting envious, people were turning to the true and living God, and guess what, another, and I've said this about Paul many times, everywhere he went, revival or riot, right? And often both, and in this case, again, another riot was stirred up, and they chased him out of town, He went down to Berea, and that same mob followed him down to Berea. So now some time has passed, and as the time has passed, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke had been together, but Luke goes back to visit the church in Thessalonica. 
And while he's there, he gets word about what God is doing, and he brings the word back to, to Paul, who's now in, in Corinth. And he tells him, here's what's happening in that, in that church in Thessalonica. And so Paul is writing this letter to the people and the believers in this new church, been saved, for the most part, months, not a, not a very mature group as of yet. And he's writing this letter to them to encourage them that they're doing well, but that God has even more that he wants to do with them. That might be a word for some of us this morning. You're doing well, but there's more that God wants to do with you. So in chapter 1, he begins by talking about living a life of genuine Christianity. And if you were here last week, you know what the text was about. But if you weren't, I'll encourage you to grab the tape. They're always free. CDs are always free. Help yourself. And we'll look at that in a moment, but I want to give you a quick outline. Those of you who like to remember things, I love outlines because it helps me remember. And there are three main points to this book. I didn't really touch on them last week, but the first three chapters is Paul reminding the Thessalonians of their past, speaking about their faith. Then in chapter 4, the first half, he's refocusing on their present, telling them to love the Lord and love one another. And then in the last two chapters, he talks to them about the hope of their future, the rapture of the church. And so we should be reminded of our past, what Christ did for us, who we are in Him. We need to be refocused on our present, walking with the Lord, in love with Him, and serving Him above all else. And we at the same time need to have a hope for our future. Guys, we're going to heaven, amen? amen. And it doesn't get any better than that. And we should never take that for granted. And we might be going today. And I'm all for it. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, amen? But we may be busy about his work when he comes. So in the first chapter, we get a picture of what genuine Christianity looked like. And I titled the message last week, True Salvation Changes Everything. And the points were to the message last week, when you get saved, it should change the person you are. You used to be dead in your trespasses and sins, and now you're alive in Christ. It should change the way we experience peace. You know, the, the people that don't know God have no peace. They're trying to find peace in everything the world has to offer. There's no peace apart from the Prince of Peace. Thirdly, it opens up intimate fellowship with the Father in prayer. Guys, if you don't know the Lord, God does not hear your prayers. I have people debate me on that. Read the Bible. Who is the one who is our intercessor who brings us into the presence of the Father? It's Jesus Christ. If you don't know Him, the Father doesn't hear your prayer. The prayer here is one of repentance. So praise God that salvation changes who we are. It allows us to experience peace. It opens intimate fellowship with the Father. And it also gives us a purpose to live every day. We talked about this last week. It gives us a faith that works, a love that labors, and a hope that is patient. Fifthly, when we're born again, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's a radical transformation, you guys. This is the number one thing that makes us different than the world. The Bible says that those who do not know God are spiritually dead. Deader than a doornail, okay? Now, that doesn't mean we're arrogant and self-righteous. We need to reach out to them in love. They need to be resuscitated. Well, actually, resurrected, amen? You can't resuscitate a dead body, amen? And they need to be resurrected and come to know Christ. But you know what? Salvation changes everything, and we're not dead anymore. Then we see that our life should become a pattern for others to follow, and that now we have a different perspective on eternity. So this morning, we're going to learn a great deal about ministering and discipling to those who are younger in the faith. You know what? Don't raise your hand, but how many of you right now are discipling somebody? Not enough. Not enough. You know what? 
I was at Promise Keepers a few years ago, and there was 100,000 guys in the L.A. Coliseum. Worship alone was worth it. But there was 100,000 guys there, and one of the questions was, they had us turn around and find five or six people we didn't know, and they had to ask them two questions. Who are you discipling, and who's discipling you? And we went around the circle, and the answer was, nobody, 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 nobody. No. But what, is the, what did the Lord say? Go therefore into all the world to make what? Disciples. So guess what? We're dropping the ball on the Great Commission, Amen. We need to do more than, again, we need to be making converts. That's where it starts, but that's not the finish line. That's the beginning point. And I want to encourage you that this morning's text is really going to give us some clear points and ways that we can and should be discipling those who are younger in the faith. We're going to learn by looking in depth at Paul's example of ministry, how he practically puts his faith into action and not only reaching the lost with the truth of the gospel, but feeding, encouraging, comforting, and exhorting those who are new in the faith. Remember, this church is fairly new. He's writing this letter to them to help them move deeper and further in their walk with the Lord. He's going to exemplify our calling to do more than just make converts. Now, this is a great text for like a pastor's conference. And some of you might be here going, well, I'm not going to be a pastor. I'm not one now. I'm never going to be. So this has nothing to do with me. Well, yes, it does. Because every one of you is in the ministry. Amen? Amen? God's called every single one of you. And God desires to do a great work in your life. So I titled the message, Living a Life. It's a long title. Living a Life That Will Strengthen the Faith of Others. Living a Life That Will Strengthen the Faith of of others. It's one thing for us to walk by faith as individuals. It's even greater when we live in such a way that we impact the lives of others. We're going to see uh, three major points. Number one, being a faithful steward. We're going to see how we learn and follow from, again, the example of Paul. The first thing we need to be to impact the lives of others is a faithful steward. Second of all, the picture that he shows here is the heart of a mother towards her children. A loving mother. It's the example he uses in the text and how he's reaching out to them and how he's showing them love and grace and nurturing them. And then lastly, the concerned father. It's interesting that even in this text, there's a need for a mom and a dad. Amen? You know, God's created us different, and it's a great thing. And moms have gifts that dads don't have, and dads have gifts that moms don't have. And God's desire is that there would be both of those things in a family. And we're going to see that in the text this morning. So, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Living a life that will strengthen the faith of others, beginning at the, looking at the faithful steward. And again, Paul looks at himself as a steward. And what is a steward, real quick? A steward is somebody who has care over something that belongs to somebody else. It's not his, but he's to take good care of it, and he will be, will be accountable for it one day. One of the most famous stewards in the Bible is Joseph, right? Potiphar's house, he was the steward, and he was going to be accountable. He was to take care of it. He was to help the things in their house multiply. And you know what? In the end, he was going to be accountable to his master. Well, guess what? You and I are stewards of the gospel and the word of God. It's entrusted to us, and we'll be accountable before our master one day. Amen? We should not bury it. We should be living it. Now, look what it says in verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. Now understand that at that time, Paul was under attack by all the the people, either the pagans and also the Jews that were there, who were saying, Paul doesn't know what he was talking about. 
Paul was a mess. He came in here for three weeks. He doesn't really care about you guys. He blew out of here. If he really cared, where is he? Because he'd only been there a short amount of time. And you know, when he came here, nothing really happened. It was of no value. Well, he's, he's exhorting them and encouraging them by saying in this verse, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. The manner of his ministry is the first thing we see in a faithful steward. The manner of his ministry was that he was, again, burdened for these guys beyond recognition. He was so broken and so burdened, and he was willing to lay down his life if necessary. Paul here begins to defend his character and ministry, not out of concern for his status, but for the sake of the gospel, in response to those who were trying to discredit him. Now remember, it was these lewd fellows, they paid some guys off to chase him out of town. And no doubt, these are the same guys now who are spreading rumors about Paul, and he's exhorting them and encouraging them that indeed when he came, that God did do a great work. Now, some of the false accusations against Paul were these. If you look at the text, you can see them in there. First, they said that Paul had a police record. You know, he'd been in jail. Why should you listen to a guy who'd been in jail? You know, come on, man. The guy was a jailbird. You're listening to him? What does he know? Second of all, they said he's out of his mind. He's not thinking straight. He says he has visions and stuff. Why are you listening to that guy? Thirdly, they said, Paul, his ministry was really based on his desire to get money from them. Okay, Paul's going to refute all these things in the text, but I'm telling you, these are the lies being told about him. They said he deliberately deceives others, that he preaches to please others, not God. Man, they didn't know Paul at all, did they? Paul preaches to please others? Show me one verse of that in the Bible. They also said that Paul's in the ministry to get out of it what he can materially. And lastly, that Paul only wants the glory for himself. So they're trying to discredit Paul. He's writing to them. The first thing he wants to say is, for you yourselves know. Look, quit listening to the accusations of men and you check out what you know yourself when we came. When I came and ministered to you, when, our, when we came together, you know yourself what happened when we were there. You know what happened when we opened up the Old Testament and you saw Jesus there. You know when you gave your life to the Lord. Guys, your faith is under attack every single day. And you need to know and remember what God did in your life and don't allow the world to challenge it. Amen? The world will try to tell you that you came from a monkey. You know, from the goo to the zoo to you, right? And we know that's not true. Amen? But they'll tell you a lie long enough to try to get you to doubt your faith. Here's a sad statement. It's a true one, though. About 80% of Christian teenagers who are not real grounded in their faith who go off to college, by the time they leave college, no longer have a relationship with God. You know why that happens? It's attacked every single day at school. And that's why it's so important that we teach the whole counsel of God. It's why it's so important that we be grounded in the Word. And he says, look, quit listening to the lies of the enemy. You know yourself what happened when we came. For you yourself No, not what you think. And he says there, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. The word vain there means empty, devoid of truth, fruitless, resulting in nothing. Paul's coming was void of neither results nor character. People got saved. You know what they said about Paul in Thessalonica? These that have turned the world upside down have come here too. Man, what a great testimony, amen? 
These that have turned the world upside down have come here too. That's what they said about Paul. And so it wasn't void of anything good. It was a very fruitful visit. Thessalonian believers were eyewitnesses both to Paul's character and the fruit of his ministry. Look at verse 2. The manner of his ministry begins. Look what it says. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Now, they said he was in it for himself. All he cares about is himself. He doesn't care about you guys. He has no desire to do anything with you guys. And now he refutes that very clearly saying, I came to you after being beaten. I came to you in much conflict. I came to you knowing that getting here was going to stir up even more trouble for me. But I came anyway because the message that I had, you needed to hear. Guys, we need more of that kind of boldness in the church today. There are people in your office that need to hear just as much about Jesus as the people in Thessalonica did. People in your neighborhood that need to hear about the Lord just as much. And then you know what? It says in Acts that they, they had laid many stripes on them and they threw them into prison. And as you remember the story, the Lord caused the earth to quake and then they were set free. And remember the, the jailer was going to kill himself and we know the jailer got saved and his whole family got saved and God used their time in prison as an outreach. You know, and every time we go through difficulty, guys, know that it's a divine appointment placed there by God, bringing opportunities for you to reach people you never would have had a chance to reach otherwise. He says, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Paul's empowered by the Holy Spirit, and this guy was courageous, and he was not afraid of what men thought. You know, we live in a world today where everybody's worried about what everybody thinks about us. And I'm going to quote my daughter from Senior Chapel that she did a couple months back at Monta Vista. She said, you know, here's the truth, you guys. Right now, nobody else in this room is thinking about you but you. And the truth is, I'm always on my mind. How about you? Amen? And we think everybody's worried about us, but nobody else is worried about you but you. And we're so worried about what other people think, no one's thinking about you. There is one that's thinking about you, and that's the Lord. Amen? And He's the one you need to be right with. And so the whole point he's making here is, look, in the midst of conflict, he was courageous and he was confident. And you know what? He came to share with them because he was burdened for them. The word there for conflict is the word agon, which we get the word agony. He came in the face of agony and conflict. And it's a word that was used for like a marathon race or, you know, a really intense athletic event. Where when you came to the end, you were totally spent. When was the last time you did ministry till you were totally spent? When was the last time you spent time in prayer till you were totally spent? When was the last time you opened up the Word of God and just studied it until you were totally spent? You know what? The Bible tells us to labor in the Word. Amen? And don't give God what's left. Give Him what's best. And so, involving this intense exertion to the point, again, of exhaustion. This was his heart. The faithful steward. The manner of his ministry was with great boldness, even in the face of opposition. So the manner of his ministry is with great boldness. And as a faithful steward, Paul's manner of ministry was faithful to God's calling, regardless of the circumstances. Number two, in a faithful steward, we see the message of his ministry. Look at verse 3. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness. 
His exhortation, the manner is the boldness to face the opposition. The message is the simple, unwatered-down truth of the gospel. Do we need more of that today or what? I, I'll tell you what. It's your pastor's... I grind my teeth when I hear it or see it. It drives me nuts. When I hear people tiptoeing around the gospel and making apologies for it. And you know what? That is an epidemic today, isn't it? You know, we don't want to offend anybody. Because if we offend you, you might not come back next week and we need your tithe money. You know what? We don't even pass an offering here and I got no problem telling every one of you, you're a stinking sinner in need of a savior. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Me too. Right? And too often we're afraid, well, if you call people sinners, they won't come back. Well, you know what? If you can't face the fact that you're a sinner, get over yourself. Amen? <laughs> we are sinners in desperate need of a savior. And we will never see our need for a Savior until we realize that we are sinners. Without conviction, there can be no conversion. Amen? And it's not this cruise ship to heaven and just, you know, come to Jesus and everything will be won. Hey, guys, come to the Lord and get into the battle because that's what the Word of God promises. Amen? We battle not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities and evil forces of darkness in high places. And he's telling them, look, here's the message, the unwatered-down truth of the gospel. I'm not coming to you with a, a half message. I'm not speaking to you from error as the people told you. He unashamedly proclaims the truth, the only truth, Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. That's what Jesus said. People say, well, there's many ways to interpret the Bible. How do you interpret John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. We got any problems interpreting that verse? He's the only way, He's the only truth, He's the only path, He's the only hope, guys. That's it. It's Jesus. When you get to heaven, when you stand before Almighty God in Judgment Day, He's not going to ask you about anything else but what you did with Jesus. Do you know Him? Do you have an intimate relationship with Him? Paul's message to these new believers was the clarity and the simplicity of the gospel. And, he said, and they were challenging him, saying he was speaking a lie, and he just told them the truth. I'm not speaking uncleanness. I'm not speaking from error. I'm speaking the truth. Now, the third thing we see of a faithful steward is his motive for ministry. Look what it says. I did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. Paul's motive was pure. Paul sought no personal fame. Paul had no ulterior motives. He saw not to draw people unto himself, but to the Lord, to point them only to Jesus Christ. Guys, can I encourage you? Use some discernment. When you're watching or listening to somebody on the radio, and if they're puffing themselves up even this much, turn them off. There's one celebrity in Christianity, his name's Jesus Christ. Amen? And too often we see people magnifying and lifting up man and the worldwide ministry of and all this stuff. And you know what? Man, that's pride. That's what Satan wanted to do, isn't it? He wanted to be like the Most High. I saw a guy, I, I, blew, I just, again, a commercial for this guy. And it says his name. And it says the same yesterday. And it shows him preaching 25 years ago. The same today. And it shows him preaching. And it says, and, the, and forever. They equate him to Jesus. Dude, you're not Jesus. Let me just tell you that right now. He alone should be glorified, honored, and praised. Amen? So the motive for his ministry was a pure desire to point others to Christ. And that should be our desire. You know, we're not trying to build Calvary Chapel. We want to build the kingdom of God. Amen? We want to see individuals in love with the Lord. That's what it's about. 
That's what it's all about. All the churches in town here that teach the truth of the gospel, we're all one in Christ. Not only do we see the motive of ministry, but look at the method. Look at verse 4. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. The Greek here is to examine, prove, recognize as genuine after examination. We have been approved by God. God has checked us out. He's examined our hearts. He's seen what we're teaching and He approves of it. That's a powerful statement. And there's not very many people today that can say that. You know the only way we can say it? Is if we're teaching this right here. Amen? This is the Word of God. And this is what we need to teach. And without compromise. And what we see here, I love this because again, they talked about Him amazingly trying to draw people into himself and being a man pleaser but this very verse he refutes that saying with the gospel even so we speak not as pleasing men but god it's not a popularity contest the gospel it's not you know what and again guys can i encourage it you're not going to save people because your argument is really eloquent can i encourage you with that i've got a class and i got it all figured out now i got him in a corner man i'm going to bury him you know what i mean i ain't going to you're not closing a, you're not selling a Yugo, man, all right? This is salvation. And you know what? You need to be prayed up. And the Holy Spirit's got to speak to their heart. And you should study to show yourself approved. A workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You need to be able to take them to the word of God and give them the answer. But it's not an eloquent argument that saves people. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts men and women of their sin and draws them and points them to the Lord. And we need to be available and be ready to point people to the truth. But you know what? It's not about pleasing men, gaining favor, affection, honor, and esteem. It's being faithful before the only one who matters, as I said before. It says, but God who tests our hearts. And again, I don't want to beat it into the ground. But may we not be worried about what men think. Let's just be obedient to the Lord. Quit taking a popularity contest. Quit, quit taking pol- straw poll. Pray. Amen? We need to quit doing a Ben Franklin close and do a Holy Spirit close. Amen? Ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? And then be obedient. So the method of ministry was in sincere and faithful obedience to the Lord and the simple truth of the gospel. They just, he was just sincerely preaching it without compromise. Again, we need more Apostle Paul's today. And the same Holy Spirit that lived in him lives in you. Amen? And Paul's not showing up at your office tomorrow. And neither is Billy Graham. Amen? But you're going to be there. And God wants to use you. Look at verse 5. For neither, at, for neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is our witness. Now listen, we didn't use words to gain the goodwill of men and leave them in high opinion of themselves. He didn't preach... And everybody walking around saying, man, I'm wonderful. Aren't I great? I'm so glad I came today to hear that how great and wonderful I am. Now, what you need to understand is you are holy and you are righteous, but not because of you, but because of Him. And you need to know you are adopted, accepted, redeemed, chosen, forgiven, enlightened, insured. You're going to heaven. You're a child of the King. Those things are all true, but it has nothing to do with anything you did, but everything that He did. And we should not be puffed up, but humbled and blown away by the fact that we've been accounted righteous because of what Jesus Christ did in our place. He didn't preach a man-centered gospel. He preached a Christ-centered gospel. 
He, he pointed men to his sin and his desperate need for a savior. He says, nor a cloak of covetousness. He didn't have a motive for personal gain. Again, we see many going into, quote, ministry today, seeing it as a great money-making opportunity. You see these guys getting exposed all the time. There was this one guy who made $80 million last year. And, you know, only God knows, this guy's not saved. He made $80 million last year off of God's, quote, God's people who were fleeced into, you know, getting his Jerusalem water and his thing he sweated on. I'm just blown away by this stuff. But you know what it does? It breaks my heart because those people need to hear the truth. And guys, some of those people might work with you. Some of them might be your neighbors. Some of them might be in line at the grocery store with you tomorrow. Guys, we don't go witnessing, we are witnesses. Amen? You know, we go witnessing, that's great, but we need to be witnesses wherever we are. And the Apostle Paul is exhorting them, look, I didn't come to you with flattering words. I didn't come to you with something to puff up and elevate, man. I brought you the truth of the gospel without compromise. He's refuting every accusation against him. They said he was in it for himself. He was in it for the money. He says there, I, I, have no co- I didn't come coveting anything that you have. Truth is that God knows our real motivation for everything we do. God knows, you guys, why you do the, the things you do for him. He knows if you're doing it for Him or if you're doing it to be noticed by men. He wasn't flattering of men to gain popularity or power. He wasn't cloaking covetousness to gain physical wealth. He was just bringing the truth without compromise. And man, we need more of that today. I know this is repetitive, but we need to hear it. Amen? Over and over and over. He keeps saying the same thing because, you know what? It's so applicable to today, isn't it? Guys, and... You know what? We don't need 40 days of purpose. We need the Bible. We don't need the seven steps to financial freedom or three ways to overcome your anger or the beaver doesn't live here anymore, the series or anything. We just need the Bible. And I don't understand. Why, you know, and you know what? I, I was talking to a pastor and he told me it was a sin to make the Bible boring or to make church boring. I said, wait a minute. You think the Bible's boring? You need dramas and other books? I go, dude, the Bible's not boring. You're boring. The Bible's not boring. It's a living, breathing Word of God. What are you talking about? We need some other book by, written by a man because the Bible's too boring for our people today? I, re- I reject that completely. And that's the Apostle Paul right here. He's saying, guys... You know what? I didn't come with flattering words. I'm not trying to puff up men. I'm not trying to do anything but bring the truth of the gospel and bring it straight. Because that's what people need to hear today. Amen? You know what? Can I encourage you? There are are people around us that are dear to us that may consider themselves Christians who don't really know God. And we need to love them enough, in love, never self-righteous, never arrogant, but in love, Question about their faith. Tell me about your relationship with the Lord. How long have you been a Christian? How did you come to know Him? How do you know you're going to heaven? You know what? It's better to ask them and find out they really are saved. That would be great, wouldn't it? But they need to hear it too, even if they're not. More importantly, if they're not. Look what it says here. Nor did we seek, verse 6, glory from men. He preached again, not for popular applause, not for worldly gain, but out of a burden for the lost. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. 
Again, our motives will have a clear impact on our message and our methods. And we see here that his motivation was for one thing, God to be glorified. You know, you've heard me quote this verse. It's one of my favorites. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one he can show himself strong on account of, one whose heart is loyal to him. God is looking for a man or a woman, not a method, not a message, not a, a, a musician. He's looking for a man or a woman. That's what the Bible says. And God's just looking for someone to say, I'm here, Lord. And you know, the Lord will answer that prayer and use you every single time. Lord, use my life. And who are we trying to please? Are we trying to please men? Are we trying to please the Lord? Look what he says here. Nor do we see glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. These guys were apostles. Well, certainly Paul was. And he could have said, hey, I'm an apostle. You guys owe me. Could have thrown his weight around. He could have said, look, I, I, got, I got letters after my name. I'm the most reverend, magnanimous, holy something or whatever, right? And you should kick down to me so you can get right with God. And I'll tell you what, don't do that. Paul said, you don't have to. I made no demands as an apostle of Christ. None. You know what I made? A desire and a passion and a love for you to bring you the truth of the gospel. That was my heart. He might have made demands. Those who are serving the Lord in full-time ministry may receive support from those that, that they minister to. That's what the Word of God said. But you know what Paul's heart was? Paul wanted to be above reproach. So when he was in Thessalonica, you know what he did? He made tents. He said, you know, I don't want anybody to think that my motivation is money. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to take any, even though I could. And you know what? This is a heavy-duty sacrifice. I, you know, and again, I, I hate to use myself as an example because I'm stinking ball center like everyone else. But here's the point. I spent 15 years working and pastoring, and I want to tell you, it's tough. You know, it's, you're having 100-hour weeks, and that's not an exaggeration. And the Apostle Paul, though, for him, he said, you know what? I would rather do that than have one person stumble because they think I'm about the money. Now notice that people were saying he's always in it for the money. Guess what? He hadn't taken any money. He was just giving the gospel away. It was a free gift. He was working hard all day and then going and doing ministry at night. That ought to convict a few of us. Well, if I didn't have to work so hard, I would do more for the Lord. You know what? Show me someone in the Bible who didn't have to work really hard. By the, the Bible tells us we're going to toil by the sweat of our brow. Paul's methods reflected his motives. He refused to receive support so not to be a burden to the body or to stumble even one brother. Paul had an eternal focus and he would rather give up everything than stumble anybody. You know, why don't we, why don't we take an offering here? Let me tell you why. I believe where God guides, God provides and he always has since the day we started. And I don't want anybody to ever come here and think we're about money because we're not. We're about Jesus, Amen. And God has always been faithful, and you'll never hear me. If it's in the text, we teach it. If it's not, you won't hear about it. Amen? You get it in proportion. That's the great thing about teaching through the whole counsel of God. You get it all in proportion to the way God gave it to us. Amen? And at the same time, we see that there's ministries that focus on one thing, and that make that the heavy impact. And again, Paul had one heart. I don't want to stumble anybody. It's not worth it. I'll work. I'll work 80 hours a week if I have to. I don't want anybody to be stumbled. Far more important than anything the world had to offer him was his desire to see new believers being saved, discipled, and growing in their faith. That's what Paul wanted. 
That was a passion of his life. He's writing this letter back to these new believers who are doing well, and he's encouraging them and exhorting them in the light of the fact that people are all around them lying to them and trying to draw them away from the faith. The same is happening to many of you in the room. So a faithful steward, point one, the manner of his ministry is boldness in the face of opposition. The message of his ministry is a simple and unwatered down truth of the gospel. Thirdly, the motive for his ministry is a pure desire to point others to Christ. And lastly, the method of his ministry is in sincere and faithful obedience. So living a life that will strengthen the faith of others, the first thing is a faithful steward. The second illustration he uses is that of a loving mother. And you know what? Where the faithful steward, the emphasis is on faith, a loving mother, the emphasis is on gentleness and nurturing. And you know what? That needs to be happening in ministry. Not, we need to have great faith, but we also need to have times where we're gentle and nurturing to others. Look what it says in verse 7. But we, we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. You know, there's very few things I've ever seen in my life more gentle than a mom breastfeeding her child. I mean, that's a, you know what I mean? That's a gentle time, isn't it? And there's a special bond that's between the mother and the child. And, and what's interesting, what I love about this, there's so many spiritual analogies there as the mother feeds and nurtures and cares for the child. But you know what? Caring for a child, moms will tell you this, is a full-time job. Amen? I think they, one, one place they... they I saw something a while back where if you hired a woman to do everything that a mom does, you'd have to pay her like $350,000 a year. You know, if you hired someone to do the laundry, and you hired someone to feed the kids, and you hired someone to make the, and you hired someone to clean the house, and you hired somebody to go to the store, and you hired somebody to pick up kids, and you hired taxis to drive them around, right? So that's a heavy-duty job. And so moms, that's a valuable job, and you should never be looked down upon that. That's a higher calling than any job out there, Amen. Being a godly mom raising godly kids in a godly home. That's a high calling. But what's interesting here is he says, but we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Now what I love about this is a nursing mother, she eats first and what she eats in a sense goes through her body and then that is what feeds the child, right? And the same is true as we are ministering to those who are babes in the faith. It's what we feed upon first that we're able to minister to them. Amen? If you don't feed on the Word of God, if you're not spending time in the Word of God every day, it's going to be hard for you to minister to somebody else. You take take in the meat of the Word that you might give away the milk of the Word. A mature Christian should be feeding on the Word of God every single day. Mature believers, be careful that you're not feeding on the wrong thing. Amen? Make sure you feed on the Word of God. So what does a nursing mother do? She sacrifices her time. She sacrifices her sleep. Is that true or not? Baby cries at 3 a.m., mom gets up. No matter how tired she is. You know what's interesting? The word for love, the most prevalent word that, that describes the, God's love, is agape. And that love has been described as the love a mother has for its child because it's unconditional. 
It's not based on what the child has done, what the child deserves. It's because the mom loves the child. The mom lays down its life for the child to make sure the baby is cared for and fed and dry and clean. And he says, we not only came to you with great faith, but we came to you, we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. We came to you in gentleness. Can I encourage you? The truth in love. Amen? You can speak the truth and you can stand on a box and you can scream at people and it won't be very effective. You can be self-righteous and act like you've got it all figured out. You're one beggar leading another beggar to the bread and don't we ever forget that, amen? So we speak the truth, but we do it in gentleness and we do it in love. This picture here of a mother. Look at verse 8. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. What kind of ministry did Paul have with these people? He was not only a faithful steward, but he had the heart of a loving mother that he was willing to die for them. He said, we were willing to give you our lives. Guys, how much of our lives are we truly given to the Lord today? Does He get a part of our life? Is He a part of who we are? Do we give Him Sunday morning and an occasional Wednesday night and read our daily bread once in a while and throw up all... Holy Spirit missile rocket prayer over our Wheaties, or you know what I mean? I mean, or do we have intimate fellowship with Him? Do you really know Him? Is He your best friend? Do you have that kind of relationship with the Lord? He says, We so affectionately long for you. Are you affectionately longing for the people that are in your mission field? Whatever it is. Are you, are you praying for them? Are you broken for them? That's Paul. Here's an example of someone discipling people. The most radical thing that transformed the way that I minister to people is when God put it on my heart to start praying for people by name. It changed everything. I told you the story, but I'll repeat it. I worked in Southern California, had a 72-mile commute each way from work, as well as a youth pastor. And I worked with a lot of people whose lives were a total disaster. And I have to confess to you, some of them pretty much their lifestyle made me sick. And I just was nauseated. A woman behind me was having an affair with the guy behind her. And you know what I mean? It just it was a disaster. And I just, you know, I'm going to go do my job and leave you alone. And I'm driving to work one day and the Lord just gripped my heart and said, Dave, I put you in that office for a reason. Who do you think the salt and light is of that place? If you don't share your faith in there, who's going to? Oh, conviction. Holy Spirit head slap, right? Just like that. And so I got a list of the names. I started praying for all the people by name. And you know what started happening? Even when I wasn't trying. Like the second day, a lady got on the elevator and looked at me and said, Dave, you're a Christian, right? I got some questions. Oh, just standing there. It wasn't being some, you know, oh, I'm just an evangelist. And I was just standing there. And the guy that ridiculed me the most, I've told you this story before, I ended up leading the guy to the Lord, baptizing him in my swimming pool, and this 65-year-old guy was coming to my youth group every week. And you know what happened? I just started praying for him. And you know what? Longing to see them saved. Longing. You know what? I love to tell those people, and I would share with them, I'd say, you know what? I've been praying for you for six months. Like, what? what you've been, you been praying for me? I pray for you. Yeah, every day. Six months. I'm on my commute praying for you. Whoa. What do you pray about? I just pray that God would open your eyes to the truth of who He is. You would know His love and His grace and His mercy. My heart breaks for you. I want to see you come to know the Lord the way I do. You know what? God uses that. And this is Paul's heart. He's longing for them. Man, I long for you. 
I long for you, affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives. It was a joy for us to give you our lives completely, to lay them down, to serve you, to minister to you. He's refuting all the lies that have been told about him. He's in it for himself. No, he's not. He's willing to lay down his life. You know what? We might say, yeah, I would die for the Lord. Okay, you die for him. How about uh, going next door and talking to that neighbor that really gets on your nerve about him, nerves about him? Well, uh, dying's easier. (laughs) You know, we say that. I'd die for him, but are we willing to live for him? Amen? Well, someone came with a gun and said, okay, confess, you know, deny Christ or die, then I'd be dead. Well, you know what? I think it's harder sometimes, you know, not just to have to take a bullet, but to live it out every single day in the face of opposition where maybe you're the only Christian in your class. You're the only Christian in your neighborhood. You're the only Christian in, at your workplace. Can I encourage you? Start a Bible study where you work. I want to pr- encourage you to do that. And if it's just you and one other person, start that way. And start praying for people in your office by name. You want to see revival in your office? Start praying. Amen. And God will do great things. And uh, Pac Bell in San Jose was amazing. We started Bible study with three guys. By the time we were done, there was 25 people coming. They started calling us the God Squad. And everybody was coming in there to find out what was going on because everybody that was in there was selling a ton, which has nothing. We're not into naming and claiming or anything else. But if you do your job as unto the Lord, God blesses it, right? Amen. You do your job in a way to honor the Lord. That's not what we're about. We're about Him. But people were coming in like, what kind of secrets you guys got around here? We're like, you know what, it ain't about selling yellow pages. It's not about selling advertising. It's about Jesus, amen? And it was a blessing to see people falling in love with the Lord. May we long for them. May we be broken for the lost. May we not walk down the street and just act like it's no big deal. The people are walking by us that don't know God all day long. God wants to spark us up, amen? And start a fire in our hearts to reach out to the lost. Last point, not only a loving mother but a concerned father. And there's a balance there. Because it says there, because you have become dear to us, at the last part of verse 8, and again, is your mission field dear to you? Even the people you don't like much, are they dear to you? Start praying for them, that God will make them dear to you. Lastly, a concerned father, who leads by example and exhortation. It says, For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for you, laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. He's going back to the fact that he worked all day so that they would not be a burden any way financially. But his whole focus here at this, this point is as a father that he was willing to work. Now, he's not father. They don't call him father, okay? Let's make that real clear. The Bible says, call, call no man father except who? Your father in heaven. You don't call anybody else father, amen? All oh, people are mad now. But here's this, guys, we don't do that. We call him father. But at the same time, he talks about being a spiritual father. He, was, he considered Timothy his son in the faith, right? So here he's saying he's like their father, their dad in the faith, but he's not their father. There's the heavenly father, all right? Now, what does a father do? We're going to see three attributes real quick in these last three verses. Number one, he was willing to work. A godly dad is willing to work, Amen. He's going to bring this up in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and get after all the lazy guys who aren't working. The Bible says, a man who does not work shall not eat. Amen? I have a real hard time giving guys money who are standing there holding up a sign. You know why? A man who does not work shall not eat. Amen? Now, I'll give him a tract. I might even take him across the street to Denny's and buy him breakfast and sit there and talk to him about Jesus while he's eating. Amen? You want to have breakfast? You're going to get all of it. Amen? But the point is... My point is, 
It makes no sense to reward sinful behavior. Amen? Oh man, that sounds harsh. No, it's not. It's biblical. It's biblical, okay? And so the first thing he says is he was willing to work. You remember, brethren, the labor and toil. Again, the father works to support his family, even though Christians, again, in Philippi, sent help, he wouldn't take it. And he labored and toiled so he would not be a burden to anybody. No wonder he had to toil night and day. Again, if you're waiting for things to lighten up before you respond to God's calling for your life, you might be waiting the rest of your life. Quit waiting and start responding. Amen? Well, when things clear up at work, I can get that promotion, the kids get out of school, and then the thing. And then... I've had those conversations. I've had conversations with guys eight years, and we're still having it. Well, you know, I think maybe this is the year. I'm like, dude, I, you know, this is the year the Lord may come back, bro. What are you talking about? How about this is the day? How about today? What's wrong with today? Well, I might, you know, got soccer and, and taekwondo and, you know. Get over it. All right, then start a Bible study at the taekwondo studio. Amen? Go down to the soccer field and share the gospel. You got to be there. Be there and be a witness. Amen? So Paul toiled because he was called to minister to the saints in Thessalonica. He had a conviction not to stumble them by accepting wages, but he was willing to do whatever it took. It says that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God, a concerned father. The mother nurtures, is gentle, the dad exhorts and disciplines. Amen? We need both of those things, don't we? If all we did was nurture and we never exhorted and disciplined, we'd have some mamby-pamby individuals walking around. Amen? But if all we did was exhort and discipline and we never showed any nurturing, we'd have some hurting kids. Both of those things are necessary, amen? And that's what's happening. Paul says, hey, we're like a nurturing mom, but you know what else? We're like a concerned father. Look what it says in verse 10. You're witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. You know what? This is a mouthful. He says, you are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. You know what? Do you think you're ever going to be able to say that? I would hope so. But let me describe these words to you real quick. We're going to finish off with verse 11 and 12. The first word there is devoutly. And another word for that is holy. How holy we live before you. And he says, God be a witness. He's not saying, I didn't, we didn't just get over on you guys. We really lived it in front of Almighty God. Guys, is that possible? What's the answer? Yes, he tells us, be ye holy for I am holy. So it is possible, but without Him we can do nothing. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so I must be filled with the Spirit of the living God. He says, you are witnesses. Again, he's refuting all the things that people said. Devoutly, in a, in a holy way. Justly, the word just there is agreeable, right, proper. Again, obedient to the law that was around them. And blamelessly. The Bible says of pastors and elders, they are to be without accusation from the outside. You know what that means? That means that nobody, if your name comes up, people don't have an accusation in their mind about you. They don't say, Pastor Dave, oh, that's that, whatever. Right? They don't say, oh, yeah, you know, oh, yeah he's the drunkard. He's the, he, you know, he's the wife beater. He's the whatever. He's the guy that has four DUIs. He's the guy that, you know what I mean? It's blameless. It means, doesn't mean sinless. It means without accusation from the outside. You have a good testimony, not just within the body of Christ, but even from the people on the outside. They look at your life and they go, something's different. 
You know what it is? It's Jesus. And that's what he's saying here. Unblameless or blameless. We've behaved ourselves among you who believed. You've seen how we lived. People are challenging whether or not this is the truth. Look at our lives. Guys, may we have testimonies where we could say to our coworkers, look at my life. Amen? How many would like to be able to say that? Well, how do I know your God's true? Look at my life. I don't know that I'm ready to say it, but look at my life. Look at my family. Look how I do my job. Look at how I, I respond when I should be getting angry. Look at my marriage. Look at, my, my look at who I am. That's the testimony. And that's what Paul's saying. Look at who we are. You saw us. Now know that our God is real. Last two verses. Not only in your works, but also in your words. Look at these last two verses. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Guys, when we're on fire as a concerned father, we're willing to work, we're willing to walk, and we're willing to deliver the word. And that's exactly what he does here in these last two verses. He says, And you know how we exhorted you. The word there for exhortation, Again, that's one of my favorite words, as you probably figured out by now. Exhort means, you know, again, to encourage someone to action. An exhortation, guys, it's, an, it's one thing to believe it, it's another thing to live it. And we need to be exhorted in our faith, don't we? We need to be exhorted to quit, get it from here and get it into our feet and get it into our hands and start living it every single day, not just when we're sitting in church on Sunday morning. He says, how we exhorted and comforted you. Now, I love this because I love the balance. The word comfort there means to, again, to admonish in a calm and consoling way. So exhort means, you know, to encourage someone to action. And the word charge is even greater, to be a witness, to bear witness, to be a testimony. So he said, hey, we came to you as a, as a nurturing mother, and we came to you as a concerned father. As a nurturing mother, we were gentle and we, we put our arms around you. But you know what? As a concerned father, we exhorted you to get out there and be busy about the Father's work. Amen? Be faithful. Both of those things are needed. You know, in ministry today, there's a, these guys who you start to specialize. And here's, here's what I would say as a pastor, is that I believe that, I, that any pastor should prepare for three people like he's going to teach 3,000. You should be just as prepared for a Bible study at work with three people as if it was going to be on the radio and Pastor Chuck was going to hear it. You know what I mean? And at the same time, you need to minister to 3,000 like there was only three people in your church. You need to prepare for the crowd if there's only a few and need to treat the crowd like there's only a few. That's the heart of a pastor. That's the heart of someone called by God in ministry. And that was Paul's heart was, look, I want to reach you all with the truth. I'm going to exhort you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to charge you. And at the same time, I'm going to comfort you. And again, tender and tough. That's a dad. Amen? A concerned father. Put my arm around you, but I'll exhort you as well. And then lastly, he says that you walk worthy of God. Just as our earthly father wants to be proud of his children, so our heavenly father wants to be glorified in our lives. You know what? You're his son or daughter. 
Have you thought about that? If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If you had a wallet, your picture would be in it, right? It's a fact. You're His child. You are His treasured possession. He loves you so much. And we need to walk like we're His kids. Amen? I have found that, you know, my, my wife and daughter walk the same way. Oh, give me heat. I'm in trouble. But they walk the same way. If you walk behind them, they walk. You could, that's mother and daughter. And when there's mannerisms that children have that pattern after their parents. And you know what, guys? We need to have mannerisms that are patterned after our Father. Amen? People should see Jesus when they see us because we live in such a way that reflects Him. God has called us. We're saved by grace. We have spiritual gifts. He's given us uh, the calling to reach the lost and minister to the body, and we shall soon be with Him in glory. And you know what? It ought to motivate us to start living for Him today. Amen? So in closing, living a life that will strengthen the faith of others. Number one, by being a faithful steward. God has given you gifts. Let's use them for His glory. Don't take a gift and bury it. Right? Use it in a way that will impact the world in the manner of ministry, the message of ministry, the motive of ministry, and the method. Thirdly, secondly, excuse me, the loving mother. Again, we need to be gentle when we reach out to people. Do it in love. They shall know us by the love we have one for another. Amen? What's the the depiction of many Christians by the world today? How they see Christians sometimes? Angry, right? Self-righteous. You're going to fry, man. Get right or get left, right? That kind of thing. You know what? We ought to be just absolutely loving them so much that they can't stand it. What's up with you, Jesus? And He loves you too. Amen? And then lastly, a concerned father who leads by example and exhortation. The mother nurtures and feeds and sacrifices for her children. We need to be sacrificing for those we're reaching out to. But a concerned father is willing to work and to walk and to deliver the word when necessary. Can't do it in love. But don't be afraid to discipline. Don't be afraid to speak the truth. Don't be afraid to be bold because we need some more of that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, praise You, and worship You. You are such a great and awesome God. And Lord, we want to live lives that impact others for Your kingdom. We want to live lives that strengthen the faith of the people around us. Lord, we want to live lives where we can be salt and light to a lost and dying world. Lord, I lift up our co-workers to You right now. You know who every one of them are, every one of their names. You know who they are. You know where they are spiritually. Lord, I pray for divine appointments this week with our coworkers. Lord, I pray for opportunities, Lord, to share our faith. And may we be sensitive to the leading of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for unsafe family and friends, people that we know in a, in a more intimate way, but Lord, that don't know you. We pray for an opportunity this week to share our faith, to see them come to know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, we pray for our unsaved neighbors, people around us, the people that we go to to the store with. And again, Lord, we want to make this time count for eternity. Lord, may we never take any day as being a wasted day. May we use every day for your kingdom, for your glory, for your honor, and for your praise. And Lord, we know that without you, we can do nothing. So we come humbly and broken before you. We ask this morning that you'd fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you'd fill us to overflowing, Lord, that you would be pouring out of us on the world around us. So, Lord, we look forward to watching you continue to do a great and awesome work. Lord, minister to each heart that is here. 
draw us closer to you than ever before. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship service.